everybody. Thank you so much for joining us today on episode number 59 of the Real Life Runners podcast. Today, we are going to put it all in perspective. We're talking about comparisons and all of those things that we runners tend to do when we think about our running, our health, and we're going to talk about how it all is based on your perspective and how just little tweaks to that can totally change the way that you look at a given situation. This is the Real Life Runners Podcast, and we're your hosts, Kevin and Angie Brown. Thanks for spending some time with us today. Now let's get running. So this episode's come about for so many different reasons. Here's we get towards the end of cross country season and it's just it's a good idea to kind of look at a bigger picture and take some perspective on on where we're at. Yes, always a good idea to look at a bigger picture. And you know, it, it also came from a couple of comments made in class. I was looking back in, way back in the spring we have the kids write down their goals for the season, how hard they're willing to work for it, and just some different angles of looking at that. And it brought about a lot of, of comments towards, you know, your perspective really shaping your vision of what it is that you want to do. Yeah, there's a there's a lot of ways that – I mean, perspective is everything in life, right? Yes. No matter what you're doing, what part of your life you're looking at, your perspective completely can determine how you view a situation. Because like they say, there's one side, there's a second side, and then the truth is somewhere in between. So yeah, every, every story's the, got three sides. Every story's got three sides, right? There's so perspective and, and everything that you bring to a situation and the situation that you find yourself surrounded in can completely change the way you view that. So today we're going to talk a little bit about that and how that applies to us and how just maybe little tweaks in our own perspective can really completely change and shift our thinking. Perfect. I mean, it's funny because you came up with this and this idea for this episode and I thought it was a great idea immediately. And it was, there was a conversation that I had with my sister the other day. She had sent me a text message and asked if, if I thought it was offensive. And I said, (laughs) Well, um, it was a text message that she was going to send to someone else. She said, do you think this is offensive? And I said, it could be, you know, it it just depends on how that person reads it and interprets it because anything can be offensive to anybody, especially on text message. On text message where you don't get the right tone of voice. There's no tone of voice. Yeah. And if, if they're reading it before they even start reading, if they're like, ah, this is probably the message they sent before they even start reading it, they're already looking at it from a negative point of view. Mm -hmm. And so, yes, they're going to see that as, as an offensive and just like an assault on them. Right. And they're already on the defensive. Right. So that's going to interpret the way they see it. And that might not be the way you meant it at all. Right. Whereas if you go, into it like, huh, I wonder what this message is. Mm -hmm. Then you've got this open mind, but you, it's really hard to just go into any situation with a blank, just open canvas. Oh, just cool your mind. You're not, you're bringing in whatever feelings you have. Well, you bring in your feelings, you bring in your relationship with that person, you bring in your relationships with other people in the past. I mean, there's so much that formulate your perspective on things. You just bring in what happened in the last five minutes in your life. Yeah, that's true. If something just went wrong and you just burn your piece of toast for breakfast that morning Mm -hmm. and then something comes up on, on a text message. Yeah. That's offensive. Mm -hmm. Whereas, you know, you just got a promotion, but that's not offensive at all. Yeah. Like, Oh, look at that interesting message. I got (laughs) right. All right. So let's first, we're going to tackle this in a couple different ways like we normally try to. So first, let's talk about comparisons. All right. So the first way is comparing yourself to something that seems unreachable. And we've mentioned this one all the time. It's the social media comparison. Yes. You know, when you try and the compare... The ideal your, situation. Yeah. When you compare yourself to somebody's uh, Instagram feed, it's like, yeah, that's not what they look like 24-7. Mm-hmm. How long did it take them to formulate and how many filters are on top of that picture? Mm-hmm. They didn't wake up looking like that. Yeah. Like, what is someone's <laughs> Facebook life like versus what their actual real life is like? Right. So yeah. then you're if you're trying to compare based off of somebody's like unbelievable ideal world, which is why so much that's out there on social media, people who are are actually gaining a, a legitimate and significant following are the people who are able to share what seems more like reality. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Real life is really becoming much more popular nowadays. People don't want fake. People no. don't want this this phenomenal illusion that just seems so big that there's no way you can possibly catch up to it. Mm-hmm. Because then you're comparing yourself to this like 
unbelievable picturesque ideal and you always feel bad about yourself. Mm -hmm. So what everybody wants is to see the truth out there so they've got a more level playing field for comparison purposes. Right, because they want it to seem more relatable. Yes, the relatable is the key. Yeah, real life and relatable. That's the big pull on reality shows as well. I mean, people are obsessed with reality shows and it's because a lot of times the reality shows will show you what a hot mess people are. And I mean, I think a lot of the reality shows out there really try to play up that aspect. Of course. Because it just brings more people to it. But people love seeing other people's messy lives. I know. Your sister and, and her husband love the one reality show. And you can hear them have a conversation about this. We don't watch it ourselves, but you hear oh, their conversation. Brother? Yeah. And yeah. they're like, oh, and so-and-so is going to get eliminated. That's awesome because I hate that guy. Really? Like you hate that guy? Right. You've never met that guy in your life, but the show has framed him as the villain of the episode. Well, and the the way that the reality shows work, especially those ones, I mean, that one is is kind of real time. Yes. It's real time, right? So they have a week's worth of filming that they then condense down into one hour, really less than that with the commercials and everything. It's really like 40 minutes. And so they can, these producers can spin it any way they want to. Yes, but if you pay extra, I'm pretty sure you can actually watch from any camera inside the house 24-7. Oh, I think you can. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, I'm which sure is you can. super creepy. Yeah, that is creepy. So that's one way that we can compare ourselves to others, that we can compare ourselves to this high flutin' unreachable goal, the ideal someone that you think or something that you think is just Way up on a pedestal. Which is always going to make you feel like you are... Inferior. Yes, perfect. Um, The opposite extreme of that is something that I was just reading the other day in a fantastic blog on how people instinctively try to protect their ego. Mm -hmm. And it's a risk management thing. And it's called uh, a downward social comparison. Okay. So the idea is when you're comparing yourself to others, you only compare yourself to people that you already know you're better than. You're better than them. Or you feel like you are. Yes. So it's like, oh, I wonder what they're doing this morning. Oh, look, I'm better than that. Like you already know it before you check in on the other person. Mm -hmm. You already feel like you're a step up. Mm -hmm. So you always win. It there takes are, it takes any risk out of your comparison. There are definitely people that operate on that level. Oh, one hundred percent. Yeah, and it's it's I an essential thing. And I think that all of us do at some at point, some point. Of you course. know, there are some people that definitely gravitate towards that level of comparison more than others because they want to feel superior. Yes, but I think that. We all sometimes do. Sometimes we all go there. Because it makes you feel good because you know, oh, well, I I wasn't feeling so great when I checked out that person's Instagram feed. But (laughs) if I check out this person's, man, am I having a good day. (laughs) It it gives you a completely different perspective for the one that has been like fine tuned and, and, you know, shaded around the edges Mm -hmm. so you can't see that much Mm. versus the one where, you know, you're... You get the the shot of the person of three kids and toys piled five feet high in the living room. They're like, this is my morning. Right. You're like, well, I'm going smoother than that. Yeah, at least my house doesn't look like that right now. Right. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's the downward social comparison, and you never, you never even try to step up because you know that you're at least beating that person. Yeah. I pointed this out at the beginning of the season where we lost one of the teams in the league that we compete against to mm-hmm. try and get to the state meet. The school disappeared. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, it's going to make it easier for us to get to the state meet. And with no hesitation, you're like, is that a good thing? Mm. Like, well, no. I mean, it's nice that it should be a a tiny bit easier to get to the state meet. But no, it actually, it makes our team not have to step up as much. And this is what happens is it makes you not have to push yourself as far. Mm -hmm. It it prevents you from seeing how great you can possibly become. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because you already accept the fact that you're better than the other people. And so you just basically have to maintain that level right. so versus you, actually getting better. Yeah, you put out this this quality of I'm good enough. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm good enough to be better than them. And mm-hmm. that's good enough for me. Yeah. Which is kind of sad. Right. It's, yeah. it's not the most uh, forward-reaching. Well, and it's not the most productive either. Uh, it's definitely not the most productive. Yeah. All right. Let's go with the third level of comparison. Third, the local and immediate comparisons. Okay. And we, okay. everybody does this. Compare yourself to the people who are right around you. You know, the internet has made it so easy to compare yourself to anybody. Mm-hmm. But it's still the most natural comparison is to, if you can, if there's 
physically people around you to compare to them, yeah. especially on uh, from like a running perspective. Right. I mean, you, when you brought this topic up to me this week about doing an episode on it, that was one of the first things you said, like how one person, if you are on a team that like at a school where the school record is 19 minutes for a 5k. And so you think 19 minutes, wow, like that is the ultimate goal, like holy moly, that would be amazing if I could break the school the record, school record. of Whoa. 19 minutes, right? But then, what if that same person then goes to another school where the school record is 18 minutes? Then it's you know, 19 doesn't seem as exciting as what unreachable. N- 19 seems doable then right. because the crazy record is 18, right? You know. And, uh, so you compare yourselves to those around you or those that went before you in the same in the same setting. setting like, right. well, they went to school here and did this. Right. I should be able to do that. You know, I, I go back to my own high school. Like, I had a very talented cross-country team in my high school. So if you wanted to be a varsity member of the team, you had to be running at a really fast level. Yeah. Like, sub 18 minute 5k was not a crazy idea mm. like it's just what you did because that's what everybody around you were doing yeah the, your school was down in the 16s well, right? the, the top kids 15? were pushing for 16 mm-hmm. so if you wanted to be anywhere near that that's that's just what you did by right. the end of freshman year you know there was a cluster of us through track season that were all trying to see who could be the first freshman to break five minutes in the mile mm. there were four of us yeah and that's only because the other fast kid who probably would have done it went off and swam that spring yeah Well, that's one of the things I think that's so fun about having the freshmen on the team or like the newbies on the team. When they join the team, they don't necessarily know what those expectations are. Uh, not really expectations, but what are the comparisons? Like what is the high level to shoot for? Like our our, the fastest kid on our team this year is a freshman. And and it's fantastic because he just went out and ran. He wasn't – he didn't have like a number in his head that – and. We didn't even put him in the varsity race. Yeah. Well, there was a reason for that. but Well, yeah. But part of it was because we didn't know how fast he could be. And so by not putting him in the varsity race, yeah. he was not immediately comparing himself to the other people on the team like, oh, well, that's the senior captain. I probably shouldn't pass him. Yeah. Because he was in a completely different race, he was able to run 20 seconds faster mm-hmm. than the senior captain. Because he was running in a different race. He ran a different yeah. race. Last year, we had a freshman on the girls' side who ran up to the senior captain and was like, ooh, I guess I shouldn't pass her because I'm a freshman. Mm -hmm. And I think that that put a cap on her because she saw this as as the limit. Well, that person's been working for four years and they've made it here. I should probably not go past them. Well, and it was her first year running, so she didn't know what she was capable of. Right, she had no idea. And it was also, I think, emotional stuff was involved as well because then you have the – you know, do I want to upset that person by passing them? There's that whole thing with high school girls, you know, yes. the whole social status and yeah, I all mean, that other stuff that's involved. You know, the, the comparison from one school record to the other one goes right back to when we have the kids set their goals. One of the kids said, I want to run as fast as uh, the senior boy that just graduated. Yeah, I remember. And he set our school record in the 5K. But our school record in the 5K is 1655, 1650. Mm-hmm. Because right after these phenomenal set of boys graduated from the school, like 15 years ago, they changed all the the cross-country courses down here from a three-mile to a 5K. Right. And so our three-mile school record is 1510, mm-hmm. and the 5K record is 1650. Right. And that's just because of the last 15 years. Right. If those guys had run the extra 0.1 miles, the school record would be 1545. Wow. So, yes, technically that's the 5K school record, but... It's it's a matter of perspective. Yeah, definitely. And I think this local and immediate point really brings up something that I've heard over and over and over again in the world of personal development, which is you are a product of the five people that you spend the most time with. And people talk about the importance of choosing your peer group in life, in business, in, in, anything. Ev- in anything, you know, they talk about, because it is, it's so true. You compare yourself to those around you. So if you surround yourself 
with people that are uplifting, people that are striving to get better, people are that are pushing themselves and pushing others and helping others along the way, that's what you're going to gravitate towards. If you surround yourself with negative people, I mean, we all know them. There's the Debbie Downers, right? They're, do you remember that skit on Saturday Night yes. Live? Womp womp. <laughs> yeah. So like, there are people that can look at any situation and find the negative. And there are people that can look at that same situation and find the positive. I mean, it's just, it's like Viktor Frankl in Man's Search for Meaning. This man was in a concentration camp and still found the beauty and the good in human nature there somehow. Yes. Look on the bright side of life. Right. So that picking your peer group is so important. And that's one of the things that we talk about with the cross-country parents a lot too. When people are asking us about cross-country and the team and all of that, one of the things that I always like to point out is just what good kids we have on the team, how all of them get good grades. All of them are just good, genuine people Yes, because that's who you want your high school kid to start spending their time with. Yes. I mean, you, it, it's the really good group of kids and from season to season, how, how much importance they put into cross country and running varies, but the level of, of kid, these have, these have been good kids for a long time, year in, year out. Yeah. I mean, as long as we've been involved with the team and coaching, it's it's good teams, good, that come from good families and everybody's got their own story. Everybody has struggles, of course, but Overall, it's just the, the level of person yes. that, that, that it comes to. And I think that that is true about a lot of people in the running community, not just in high school, but just the running community as a whole. Excuse the interruption, but I just had to pop in and let you know about an upcoming workshop that we're hosting inside the Real Life Runners Academy. If you're someone that's ever struggled with thoughts or beliefs that are getting in your way, or you think you're self-sabotaging yourself and you can't understand why you're doing things that you don't want to do or not doing things that you know you should be doing or want to be doing, this message is for you. We're hosting a special academy workshop May 14th, and we're bringing in an expert in neuro-linguistic programming, Ms. Megan Blacksmith. And she's going to be teaching us how the thoughts that we have can either be helping us in our life or holding us back. And we want to invite you, our amazing podcast listeners, to join us. So you don't have to be a member of the Academy to join us this month. You can join for a small one-time fee by going over to realliferunners.com forward slash workshop. If you are a current Academy member, this and all of our monthly workshops and all experts, that's all already included in your current membership. So if you are a current member, do not go to the website and repurchase because it's already included with your membership. But if you want to join just for the workshop, check it out over at realliferunners.com slash workshop today. Now, back to the show. It's generally, I mean, like we said in in a previous episode, it's a very welcoming group for the most part. Um, It's a group that's usually willing to go out of their way and help other people. Mm -hmm. It's, you know, it's a, it's an, it's a good group of people who are willing to go out and try something that is physically challenging. Mm-hmm. They've already chosen a difficult route. Right. And most people that choose that path, that don't choose the easiest path, mm-hmm. I, I think you're going to find a, a good, strong group of, of well-developed mental people. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So I think that once we start thinking about comparisons, then we have to address the topic of extremes because there's always extremes in any situation. There are the really, really good, there are the really, really bad, and then there's everything in between. So you've got a fun story for us on this one. Yeah, well, I... We're doing a, uh, a thing in my biology class, and we're talking about, I don't know, different food material and something. And so I'm sitting there grading some work, and the, the one girl in class goes, Hey, Mr. Brown, 
Do you know what the worst thing in the world is? Oh, goodness. And I, I paused. <laughs> and, you know, I'm thinking about, like, you know, gun violence and hatred and, and mass, mass genocide, genocide. <laughs> and, and racism. And I've got this, this endless list. And I rattle off a few of them to her. And as, I, as I'm doing it, I'm watching her face sort of drop. And she goes, yeah. I was thinking about how the milk gets crusty at the top of the container, but probably yours. Yeah. Yeah. Especially in the high school, the high school kids, like they just, they have no perspective. No. The, what's the worst thing in the world? Yeah. And, and her worst thing was milk gets crusty at the top of the gallon. Right. Like, oh honey, you live such a good life. <laughs> nope. Nope. That's not it. That's yeah. not even the worst thing in your day. Mm-hmm. But I think that's how so many high schoolers operate when it's like everything is the worst thing in the world or the best thing in the world. Like high schoolers just operate on the level of extremes. Everything's an extreme. And then you throw just ridiculous hormone levels over the top of it. There's nothing but emotional highs and crashing lows. Mm -hmm. There's no steady ground. Yeah. You know, did you do well on the test? Nope. You failed the test Mm -hmm. or you got an A. There's no middle ground. You got like one wrong. Yeah. You either made homecoming court or you were actually voted worst person in the entire class. (laughs) Like that's the perspective that you're bringing to it. There's literally only extremes. Whereas if you actually take like a big picture, a global perspective, where do you and your personal issues fall into the giant big picture? Mm -hmm. It it kind of makes a completely different perspective. What happened to you that morning might not be the biggest issue going on. Mm -hmm. It's like people that I know that run for people who can't run. They think they take that perspective. Like I have a friend who got in a car accident when she was 15 and she basically had to relearn how to walk. And now she's a runner and she can walk and she can run and she's not limited at all in her physical activity. Sometimes she's got aches and pains that she, you know, wishes she didn't have, of course, that are due to some of the effects of that. But she always keeps in mind people that weren't as lucky as her, that, weren't able to recover from the car accidents, those people that weren't able to regain their walking ability or their running ability. Yeah, I mean, she, she always has that in her head. She compared to them, she compared to when she couldn't walk at all. Yeah. Like, yes, this was a little rough run. Maybe, maybe it didn't go as fast or as mm-hmm. smoothly as you wanted, but right. at least you're up and doing something. Yeah, that's, exactly. That's a totally different perspective. Totally different perspective. You know, we get this one at practice every once in a while. Oh, coach, that's like the hardest thing in the world. No, it's not. I'm asking you, you mean to like do a workout. Like a workout. Yeah. I'm asking you to do 12 times a quarter. This is not the hardest thing in the world. <laughs> like, you're, you're literally running circles around a track. Like this is not the hardest thing in the world. This Mm -hmm. is not even going to be the hardest thing that you will do in your life. Mm -hmm. Or this season. Yeah. Let's, let's keep an idea of what's going on here. Let's have a big picture. This is not the hardest thing ever asked of any person in mankind because that's how they've got it blown up. Mm -hmm. And if in your head, it literally is the hardest thing that anybody's ever been asked to do, you're not getting through that workout. Yeah, that's going to be too hard. But a lot of times people don't realize it's supposed to be hard. That was on the back of one of the shirts at the last meet we're at. It's supposed to be hard. Hard is what makes it great. Oh, I like that. Like that's that. I think it, I think it actually says like running is supposed to be hard. It's the hard that makes it great. Mm-hmm. Like it's true. Like if it was if it was easy and everybody could just all get out there and crank out you know fifteen minute five k's, mm-hmm. then where's the glory in being able to crank out a 15 minute 5k. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And not everybody is going to do this. And that's one of the things that sets you as a runner apart from all the other people in the world that don't run and that take their health for granted. Yeah. So, um, you know, you, you mentioned it, people saying that they run for people who can't, Mm -hmm. this falls into the category of people running for causes. Yes. You know, there's a lot of people, a lot of charity races. You were just at the water station at a Mm -hmm. breast cancer 5k. Yep. I mean, there's a lot of survivors and fighters doing these races. You know, October is breast cancer awareness month. And if, if this is something that you have fought and conquered before or something that you're in the middle of or something that someone that you love or know is in the middle of, our heart goes out to you. And it's just, I think that these charity races are so wonderful because they bring awareness to these, these causes. 
I, yes. I feel like I'm saying causes a lot, but yeah, but I mean, that's the entire point here yeah. is it's bringing, it's bringing the issue to the forefront. Mm-hmm. And I mean, October does it a lot with fluorescent pink shirts all over the place. Mm-hmm. I went off on a run. You guys were working the water station. You and the girls were, were up there with your running group and I went for a run. I passed like four different women running that morning, all wearing bright pink shirts. Mm-hmm. And Maybe they just would have done it anyway, but yeah. it, there's just something about how much pink is out there during the month of October. Well, you see it in the NFL and college football. You know, it's it's all over the place, and it's just giving you that that gentle reminder that we are so blessed and lucky to be doing these physical things with our body that we're doing. Because some people have cancer in their body, and they're literally not able to go out and run. Yeah. I mean, how many people ran that 5k or walked that 5k Mm -hmm. that never would have considered doing it, but then they have a mother, a sister, an aunt, whatever it is. There was a whole group of of people that have, you know, a name on their shirt. And there was like that team, Cindy's Yep, Cindy's because the the name of the race was actually called every boob counts. Yes. So there was a whole team that said Cindy's boobs count. Yes. (laughs) That was their, that was their team's t-shirt. And it was, and it just, it, it brings it to the forefront and says this, this is why I'm doing this. You know, it's, it makes it bigger than just going and running three miles, which makes running three miles not seem all that challenging. Yeah. But isn't it interesting that just because you name that race, the race for the cure or the race to support breast cancer or whatever it is that can totally change the way that people come into that race and the amount of effort that they're willing to put in. I mean, this happens with any workout that you that you do. Yeah. You know, we do a workout with the kids that I refer to as quarters of death. Right. So that that's the perspective that they come into it with. Mm-hmm. Like, this is how much effort you're going to need to bring. Mm-hmm. Whereas there's other things where I'll phrase it beforehand. Like, this is the point of the workout. This is how much effort you're going to need to be able to bring to successfully complete the workout. Mm-hmm. You know, and if you know that going in, if you know what the purpose is, what the point is, how much is going to be asked of you, it's it's easier to make sure that you, you bring the right level of, of effort coming at it. Yeah, it's the framing and the lens that you're looking through when you look at a given situation or a given workout right. or I mean, a given race. If we've got a race coming out and beforehand, you've got kids that are nervous beforehand and you tell them there there's only one option. You guys have to run successfully, otherwise your season's over. Right. If they're already nervous, that's not helping anything. Like that kid is probably just, it, it became even bigger. They had it blown up in their head mm-hmm. as this huge thing. And you're pointing out that this is the entire season. Mm-hmm. That didn't help. Yeah, but maybe some people it does help them. Exactly. Right. And it's so personal. Yeah. Like that works for the one kid. The one before uh, our last race, what, last week, mm-hmm. the one kid was like, coach, my stomach, it, it's going again. And I'm like, look. This is the last race of your season because, like, he's he's not on our varsity squad. It was going to be his last race no matter what. Mm-hmm. I'm like, what do you what are you so nervous about? Right. And he's like, the the race. I'm like, what's the worst thing that could happen when you run this race? He goes, um, I could die. Mm-hmm. I said, are you actually going to like when they're going to shoot a gun? You run three miles. Are you actually going to die? He goes, well, no. I'm like, okay, well, so you're already winning that battle. Right. And I just took it down to how overall what he does over the next 25 minutes is not that massively consequential to the rest of his life. Well, and that's good. But at the same time, then, I mean, you still want these kids to push themselves in order to achieve better times and results. Right. But it made his stomach start feeling better. So he was able to actually get to the starting line. There's other kids that you have to up it and you have to put something of consequence to it. Right. You know, so figuring out what works best for you. And we've talked about this before of how much do you need to dig in? Mm -hmm. Some people are already so dug in that the weight of the pressure of the situation makes it impossible and you Mm -hmm. have to lessen the load. Other people, they don't care. It's like, ah, whatever. It's a race. It doesn't really matter. It's like, well, it, it does matter. matter. It's a race and you have to put something onto them Mm -hmm. so that it does matter. It's, it's framing it individually. Like some people need the extra pressure and some people need a little bit taken off of them. Otherwise Mm -hmm. it's just too much. Yeah. Personally, after trying to get back into running after having three seizures within a year, 
there was a little while there where my perspective of like running with seizures, I, I kind of almost played it up like a joke, like running with scissors mm-hmm. of it's a little bit dangerous because in my head I was like, eh, no, it'll be, it'll be fine. But on days where I have a hard workout, it's, it's a battle through the day of like, am I tired from the workout? Am I like extra tired? Is that headache from, from dehydration? Is that headache a sign that something is coming? Mm -hmm. It's, it's a struggle and it's a matter of trying to, to balance out how important running is. Mm -hmm. You know, I I run right now because I enjoy it. I think that it's good for my health long term, but is pushing really hard physically actually contributing to the likelihood of, of another seizure. Mm-hmm. And we don't know because we don't know the cause of them. So it's, Exactly. So no doctor has the answer to that right. one. You know, there's some that are like, it's it shouldn't cause an issue. And there was another one that said, well, pushing yourself to extremes, extremes. In, in anything is yeah. going to be, is going to cause an issue. Mm-hmm. And so then it's a matter of, of, what is that extreme? So if I'm having a hard workout and I start feeling like I'm pushing really hard in the past, I'd be like, okay, gut it out and push through. And now should I, or should I not in the, in the big picture, I just want to be healthy Mm -hmm. and be here for my family. But mentally I enjoy pushing really hard. Like that, that is a a good mental exercise for me. I enjoy trying to see how hard I can go. So you don't want that taken away from you. I I don't like, Like you don't want to just go out and run for fun. That's, that's not who I am for you to push yourself to that level to see what your body is able to achieve. Yeah. I mean, when I, when I cranked it up on the treadmill the other day to see how, how long I can keep it at 12.0, that was fun for me. Mm Like, it doesn't seem like that should be fun. You might be a masochist if. <laughs> but, like, ooh, I think I might I think I think might throw up. But I felt fairly confident because the AD was literally just in the next room. So if I <laughs> fell off the treadmill, he would have heard a thump and come over. <laughs> so I, I was fine. Like, there were people around. They could see me. It was good. It, there's you got to keep sort of some safety in mind and and i i got to keep some sense of humor in mind to all of it yeah you have to and because like you said i mean we're talking about perspectives here and extremes in a lot of situations i think can be a negative any in any situation not just health and not just running and when you take things to the extreme there can be negatives and i think that is where it's very important to keep everything in perspective. I mean, you see this when in the world of eating disorders as well, there's eating disorders are so prevalent in runners, especially female runners, especially professional and collegiate runners that have really dumb coaches that say really dumb things to them about their bodies and weight and all those things. I mean, you've heard the stories of like a coach that just made an offhand, offhand comment, didn't think they were doing anything about it. You know, their kid comes across and another kid comes across the line, or maybe they're standing there with one of the girls on their team looking at, at a different race. And they just make some comment about like, Oh man, look at the runners on that team. Mm -hmm. There's, just what made the comment, Hey, look at the runners on that team. And the girl standing next to them looked at them and thought, well, they don't look like me. I guess I should go home and, and not eat dinner. Yeah. And I've, well, and I've heard those, the story. And, the, and then there are all those other coaches, not all of them. I shouldn't say like that, but there are other coaches that say you need to drop 10 pounds if you want to be faster and have any sort of chance for this championship. Uh, well, I can't, I can't even go there. That just, that's disgusting. Yeah. Yeah, we're not going to – let's not get on that soapbox. No, please. But it just – we're just talking about the extremes right here. So runners, there needs there's to be a, lot a balance. Of, there's a lot of type A runners. And yeah. so if they think, oh, I lost three pounds and I got faster, what if I lost another 10? I mm-hmm. could bet I could get a whole heck of a lot faster. Right. Probably not. You can't take everything to ridiculous extremes. Right, because then you're losing muscle and strength, and that's going to affect you too. Yes. All right. Well, this transitioned us nicely because the, the third point I had was uh, perspective on dieting. Oh, dieting. Oh, God. Okay. And, you know, one of the things that, that we can do here is straight off the bat, just the name dieting in and of itself. Okay. You, you hate it. I do hate it. Well, because a diet is, is just supposed to be the food that you eat. That, that's what a diet is, def- is defined as, right? You're an omnivore, you're a carnivore, you're herbivore like the diet that you eat is vegetables or meat or whatnot yes whatever you eat makes up your diet but because of culture everyone thinks of dieting or a diet as 
restricting something. It's a way to lose weight by restricting certain things. Right. And so diet immediately has this negative aspect to it because you're losing something. Mm -hmm. Oh, I'm going to go on a diet. And so that means that I can't have this, this, and this. can't. It's the can't. can't. Yeah. Yeah. It's all the perspective. Again, you know, it's the verbiage that people talk about. It's, I can't eat carbs. I can't have this. I can't have that. And that's what people think is, it's, it's truth. They think that it's truth. Yes. Even though it's not. That's not really how that works. It's not. Because anytime you go Carbs restrictive. Carbs are bad for you. <laughs> anytime you go crazy restrictive, you're going to have to rebound at some point. Yeah. Which is the whole con- like issue of, of yo-yo dieting is people go on restrictive diets. It works. They lose weight, but they hate the entire process. Right. And so then they go back to either at least where they were before, if not too far the other direction. Right, because it's not sustainable. Right. And so then, you know, in in the correct sense of the word diet, the food they're putting in their body is just on this massive pendulum swing mm-hmm. from too little to too much to too little to too much. Right. And that's not good for your body either. No, definitely not. So that's one of the reasons that when I think about dieting or changing the way that you eat, changing your diet, the the diet that works for you, because it is individual. And the more and more research that is now coming out is showing that some people do better on higher carb diets. Some people do better on a little bit lower carb diets. Some people do well on higher fat, lower fat. There's all these different ways that you can tweak your diet, your food that you eat. And it's, it's individual based on your hormones and your activity level and the amount of sleep you get and genetics. I mean, there's so many factors that are at play here. So when I'm trying to, to help people kind of figure this out for themselves, I always try to think of dieting, not dieting, but changing, lifestyle change, habit change as adding things in versus taking things away. So instead of saying to someone, you can't have chocolate, you can't have ice cream, you can't have this, you can't have that, let's start first by adding in some more vegetables. Let's start first by adding in some more unprocessed foods to, to replace some of those other highly processed foods that you're that you're eating. Because if you just think about adding more of those things in, then you're going to start to correct some of those nutritional deficiencies that people have because they're eating highly processed foods. And then just the nature of eating more whole, unprocessed foods, you're not going to want the processed foods as much because you're going to fill up on the good stuff first. Right, because you're full. And because they're not processed, you're not then immediately hungry 20 minutes later. Right. I mean, that's the thing that's so frustrating. And I see it myself. We don't eat a lot of processed foods anymore, but there are times that we do. And when we go to a birthday party or whatnot and you have pizza and cake, I mean, you're hungry. You're starving on the ride home. Yeah, like a half an hour later. It's crazy. <laughs> Thank you for that and you piece think of about cake. How many, Can I have the rest of it? Because I'm that hungry. And you think about how many calories you just ate. You know, everybody <laughs> thinks calories, you know, which we're not going to get into that in this episode, but... It's not about the calories. It's not about, you know, if, oh, I just ate 500 calories, so I'm going to be full. Like, no, you didn't. You just ate a highly processed meal full of sugar and highly processed carbs that is just going to spike everything and throw your whole hormonal balance off. And then your body's going to think that it's still hungry because your hormones are so out of whack from it. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of, of issues when, when you're eating. And I like the idea of, you know, making sure that you've got the thing named correctly. Don't don't take things away. Add things in. Yeah. Our girls love eating dessert, mm-hmm. as I think most people do. I do. I love dessert. When you've asked the girls, do you want dessert, comma, and then you give an option. What do you mean? Do, do you want dessert? We have frozen berries with whipped cream. Mm-hmm. And then that's that's the dessert option. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's not, hey, do you girls want some fruit? Mm-hmm. Because if you tell them, hey, dinner's done, do you want some fruit? They're going to say no. If you say dinner's done, who wants ice cream? They're going to say yes, because it's <laughs> ice cream. Right. But if you say, hey, it's time for dessert and you just leave it there, mm-hmm. at least one of them is probably going to ask if we have ice cream in the house. Yeah, but the one thing you can do too, because one of the parenting things that I've learned throughout the years is to give them choice, right? Give them two choices. Yeah. So you're still controlling the options, right? But you're still giving them some sort of freedom to make their choices. So for your example, for the fruit, you can say, all right, who wants some dessert? We have 
frozen berries or warm berries or we have pineapple or we have this like give them two options so that they can choose but make them better options yeah and and sometimes make one of them ice cream yes you know which is fine there's nothing wrong with that no and 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 it's good and they get excited and then you know ice cream is one of many things they could have for dessert Mm -hmm. but on the same list in both of their heads is fresh fruit mm-hmm. or frozen fruit that gets microwaved into this like warm goodness. Like yeah. they, they would love that a for little dessert. A little bit of granola sprinkled on top. And they're totally on board with that. Yeah. It's right in there in the same category as ice cream. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they just really want ice cream, but a lot of times you just say, Hey, let's have some dessert. We've got warm berries. They will be as excited. Mm-hmm. But they'll very, they'll, they'll really pick the berries over the ice cream. Well, they're not going to pick it. But <laughs> if you say, Hey, we've got dessert, we can warm up some berries. Yeah. And you don't mention ice cream right. or cookies right. but that, <laughs> or go to Nana's house. <laughs> yeah, well, that's a whole different ball game. But it's true, though. And I said to the girls, the, the girls um, built one of those cookie houses. They had a Halloween cookie house that Nana brought over and they built it kind of like a gingerbread house with the frosting and everything. So and they wanted to eat it. So they start they dug into it last week and they they each ate a piece of it with their friends. And the rest of the cookies have been just sitting on the counter for the last week and I'm done looking at it and I just think it, it needs to be time to, to be done with that. It's so stale. So stale. But, and, I, and I tell the girls, and one of the things that we try to teach them is that you don't have to eat these cookies. Like it's okay if we throw these out because there will be more cookies in the future. And this is what I talk to them about. Like if you're going to eat dessert, make it a good dessert. Make sure it's something that you enjoy. Don't just eat a stale cookie just because it's a cookie. This goes into the issue that a lot of people have is they don't want to waste any food. Yeah. You know, well, I used to fall under that trap all the time. I I definitely still fall under this one of, Oh, well the kids didn't finish that plate. I -hmm. I don't want to throw all that food away. They've eaten at it so we can't save it as leftovers it's going to go bad Mm -hmm. so i guess i'll just finish the food yeah and suddenly and this i think this happens with parents a lot is they finish their kids plates totally and suddenly that's way more food than you were planning on eating for dinner you ate what you wanted Mm -hmm. and then you ate everything off the kids foods Mm -hmm. off the kids plates right and that comes from this whole mindset of scarcity right people that maybe grew up with less financial resources like maybe their parents made them finish their plates like that's just what they grew up learning like i mean in in our house there was the clean plate club right people you have to be part of the clean plate club and my mom used to if we didn't finish our foods she would take our plate and she would put it in the refrigerator and save it for us to eat later like if so that we came back to her and say can we have dessert now she said nope you have to eat your (laughs) you have to finish your food first yes here's your dessert oh look it's your dinner plate right exactly and so we were basically conditioned to always finish the amount of food on your plate. And I think that if you give kids the the um, ability to serve themselves, yes. that sometimes that works out okay, right? Because that's one of the things that we're trying to teach our girls is only take as much as you're going to eat. You can always go back for more if you're still hungry, but start off with a smaller portion. And then if you eat that and you're satisfied, then you're good. If you eat that and you're still hungry, then you can go back and have more. But that way we don't we don't waste food, but we also try to avoid forcing them to finish what's on their plate. Right. And making sure you have the appropriate serving utensils so that they can take a small amount. Mm -hmm. You know, I know I've also watched, especially with our younger one, where she'll put like another like big spoonful of stuff (laughs) on her plate. And I'm like, I'm just not going to finish what's on my plate right now. I'm just going to wait a couple minutes and see how much of that comes over to my plate in a couple minutes because she's picking at it. And I know she's not going to finish it. Like she put like a big scoop of whatever casserole on the plate. She's going to pick the cheese off the top of that and maybe take one bite of the rest of it and then ask me if I want to finish it. (laughs) So I just pause my dinner for a second, wait for it to come to my plate, and then I can decide how much I actually want to eat. Instead of you taking seconds, you take the leftovers and and then supplement from there. Right. I I don't put a second serving on my plate. I wait for her to finish her, you know, second serving. Yeah. Well, it's funny. I mean, and I think that that kind of rolls in next nicely to our next point, which is portion control. Yes. And how 
that portion control and the size of the dish and all of those things can change your perspective. Again, you know, like we've talked about in this whole episode, perspective makes a big difference. So portion control, right? If you go to like the Cheesecake Factory, I always think <laughs> of them like they're to me that they're notorious for just massive portions of food. But I mean, really any restaurant in America nowadays just serves a massive portion when you buy, you know, a meal. Well, where'd we it's go and get French for, fries from the other it's day? It's enough for at least two. Oh, we were at BurgerFi. Yeah, which is makes makes delicious food. Yeah. But the small French fry is enough to feed our family of four. Well, the first time we ever went there, we ordered a large because we were going to share it between the four of us. Right, because there's small, large, and family size. Right. I think family size comes in a wheelbarrow. <laughs> well, I looked up the information on the oh, website, God. and it was like the family size is like 1,900 calories. Well, that's just ridiculous. Yeah. But we figured large, I eat a bunch of food like so mm -hmm. let's get a large we we couldn't finish it oh my gosh it was, there was so much so we got a small your mom mm -hmm. was there so there were five of us mm -hmm. and that was still plenty of french fries mm -hmm. for the group serving size matters you right. know there was a big push for a while of like the big giant plates with food on it and People have a tendency to try and fill their plate up. Mm -hmm. And for a while, to make food look good, I swear this was, again, social media's fault. Food takes nice pictures when it's a small amount of food on a big plate. It looks artistic. Well, it's true. It does. It's the negative space. Yes. Mm -hmm. But then people got these plates so that it would take a nice picture, and then they would actually fill the plate up so that they could eat dinner. <laughs> but then the plate was way too big for the amount of food that they wanted. Right. Right, and that's one of the classic things that people tell you when you're if you're trying to lose weight, if you're trying to to learn portion control, is buy smaller plates and actually put your dinner on a smaller plate because the amount of food that you need to be eating should fit on a plate this size, not this size. Right, exactly. Yeah. Last night we were watching a movie with the kids. You made popcorn. Mm -hmm. There was the big bowl of popcorn. We don't bring the big bowl of popcorn over where the kids get. Everybody no. gets their own individual bowl right. of a normal amount of popcorn. Because if you just are sharing out of the giant bowl, one, you have no idea how much you're eating. Nope. And two, at least from my perspective, which I think is strongly rooted in high school and college, the serving size is the container. <laughs> but that's, you know, so... but. It's interesting, though, too, because the portion control that I am teaching to people and one of the most effective things, I think, is using your hand, yes. right? Because... I also like to use my hand over and over to put the food <laughs> into my mouth. <laughs> but it's true, though, because, so again, it's perspective, right? I am a smaller person than you are. Yes. I have a smaller hand than you do because... And so I need more... I need less food than you do. You need more food than I do. Yes, this right? is true. So your hand is bigger, so your portion size should be bigger. Yes. I mean, it's it's pretty it, it makes pretty sense. simple. Yeah, the, it's the whole idea of well, what if what if your hand is really big? Then you probably need more food. Yeah, like, because you're a probably reason. a bigger person. Yes, unless you have strangely large hands. <laughs> yes, if you have freakishly <laughs> giant hands or tiny baby hands, <laughs> then maybe you have to use a friend's hands. Unless you're a Tyrannosaurus Rex. <laughs> I have tiny arms. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So is that is that everything on our list here? Um, yeah, I think that just wraps us all the way, all the way back to comparison, oh, yeah, and, which yeah. is what we started with yeah, is comparison inside of, of eating. What is healthy? Mm -hmm. And if, if you talk to somebody who's been on this like health food journey for years and you try to immediately compare yourself to them, mm -hmm. it's not going to go smoothly. Like, yeah. oh, well, I'm never going to be healthy because I'm so far behind. Right. No, you're doing okay. You're on the path. Yeah. And then you go the other extreme, like, well, at least I'm eating better than them. Yeah. Well, okay, that's not a good comparison. Well, it's not, but it is in a way. It, it is because maybe that's where you used to be. Right. You know, and I, I tell people this all the time and they're like, some, some people will say, oh, like I did this today and I made this and... I don't do everything like you do, you know, and they, they and I'm like, don't compare yourself to me. Yeah. Like it is not, your journey is not my journey. Number right. one. And number two, like I've been doing this now for a good nine years. Like, and this is not where I started where I am today looks nothing like it did nine years ago when we first started out on this healthy journey. No, there were a lot of hiccups along the way. Well, it's not hiccups. a smooth process. Well, and it was baby steps, yes. you know, that's, that's how you make it sustainable. So people sometimes ask us like, how do you guys eat that way? Or I'll, I'll have people say this about the kids, you know, oh, my kids aren't like your kids, you know, they don't eat healthy like your kids. And I'm like, well, my kids don't eat healthy all the time, A. And B, it's it's because it's we've built them 
and condition them to eat this way. Yeah, over years and years. Right. Well, you know, if you start off with a a 10-year-old or a 15-year-old and you automatically start making them try to eat more vegetables, like, you're going to get some pushback. Yeah, you can't have this massive overhaul. It's just too much. You can't change everything that you're trying to eat. You you. Take the big goal that sets and you, you figure out what the what the first step is to head towards that thing. Right. As long as you're continuously moving forward. That's why you can't always compare to the people that you're better than them. Because if you're like, well, I'm better than them. I don't need to take another step. Mm-hmm. That's when that becomes an issue. Right. As long as you say, well, that's where I used to be. Look where I am now. What's my next step? Mm-hmm. It, as long as you're still forward thinking, that's a good comparison. Mm-hmm. And you're comparing it against yourself and your own goals. Yes, yes. Your own goals gives you a very nice perspective on it of what is it that you actually want to get out of it? Where are you on your health journey and where do you want to go? What's the next step to take? Right, because one, one more step is doable. You To look at you compared to the vegan you know, the vegan <laughs> keto, blah, 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 like diet that's your friend is eating. Like they're completely vegan. They just completed three Ironmen over the weekend right, right. and they have a family of 12 that are all going to, they're Homeschool. all, yeah, they're, they're homeschooled on their path to Harvard, full scholarship. Like, no, that's not your comparison. Right. It's your journey. What's your next step? Yes. Okay, so just a couple announcements and reminders before we let you go. Next week marks the 12-week point before the Key West Half Marathon. So the Key West Half Marathon is January 20th. So if you want to join us down in Key West for our first official real-life runner's half marathon race, next week is going to be the week that you're probably going to want to jump onto a training plan because it's about 12 weeks out. So Keep that in mind. Go over to the website, realliferunnerspodcast.com, if you want the link to sign up for that race. And if you use our code REALLIFE, you will get 15% off your registration. Also, we have some really cool swag that the race has sent us to give away to our listeners, which is so awesome. We have some long sleeve shirts. We have this great fleece. We have a hat. So we have some great gear that we can give away and we also have two free registrations for the Key West Half Marathon that we are going to be giving away to our listeners. We are so excited about this. So if you don't follow me yet on Instagram, head over to Real Life Runners on Instagram. We're also at Real Life Runners on Facebook and make sure you follow me. I'm going to be posting a contest over on Instagram in the next couple of weeks. So make sure you follow us over there so that you can be notified when that giveaway is up. And as a second reminder, we also have some real-life runner shirts available now. So if you're interested in those, head over to the website, realliferunners.com. You can check everything out over there. We also have a bunch of different lists and free downloads for you guys over there with some speed work and some strength exercises. Lots of resources over on the website to help you out on your running and health journey. So check us out at realliferunners.com. Thank you so much for joining us, and we'll catch you guys next week. If you're ready to have more fun and achieve the goals that matter to you without sacrificing the rest of your life in the process, this message is for you. Maybe you're feeling confused or frustrated because you're not making the progress you want, even though you're running three times per week or more. Maybe you're feeling tired or sore all the time because you're pushing harder every day trying to get better. Maybe you want to run longer, but every time you run a couple of miles, that nagging knee pain starts to act up again. Maybe you've been told that you should probably stop running so much because you're getting older, but you refuse to accept that and want to find a way to continue to improve in your 40s, 50s, and beyond. Maybe you just feel like you're winging it every day and want to start working towards a goal. You want to feel better and be able to make progress in your running as you get older. And if you're like us and the other runners we work with, you want your running to help you become stronger and more resilient in all other areas of your life too. Plus, you need something that fits in your real life that is simple, easy to understand, and effective. Don't worry, we've got you. If you're ready to transform into a strong, confident, and successful real-life runner, The Real Life Runners Academy has everything you need. It includes training plans, coaching, and programs that will teach you how to run faster, run longer, feel better, and accomplish your goals. Check it out today over at realliferunners.com forward slash academy. 
Enrollment will be opening soon, so be sure to join the waitlist so that you can be notified when doors are open. It's time to run your life. <laughs>